Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. Hi, I'm Howie Silbiger. This is the Howie Silbiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You can feel free to call in. The number is to call 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. The phones are open throughout the course of the show. So feel free to call in and be part of the program. Love to hear from you. Love to talk to you. And uh, love for you to take part in the program. The Liberal Government of Canada... Uh, I'm I'm trying to understand. I'm just just really really confused by this. The Liberal government of Canada hired a media company, hired a a consultant to lecture journalists about uh, how not to be racist. So their woke selves. The Liberal government is very woke. It's it's important to be woke these days. The Liberal government is extremely woke. They hired a, a consultant to teach journalists how to be woke, how not to be racist. So you figure they would hire they would hire somebody normal. That would be the that would be a normal assumption that somebody normal would be hired in order to teach journalists how not to be racist. Instead, without any due diligence, apparently, without any forethought, without any any research whatsoever, without even a simple Google search. The Canadian government hired a man named Lath Maroof to teach journalists how not to be racist. Now, if the name sounds familiar, there's a reason it sounds familiar. Lath Maroof has been around uh, around Montreal, around uh, Concordia University uh, since the early 2000s. In um, in in the early 2000s, Lath Maroof was part of the was part of the Concordia Student Union, the uh, the group in the Concordia Student Union that uh, decided that the Concordia had to become a a, a pro Arab, pro Palestinian university. They they formed what is currently known as Gaza U. They they were they were one of the formers of that. Uh, Lath and his friend Samer Elatrash were the organizers of the 2003 riot that erupted at Concordia when then former Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu went to speak. Sorry, it was 2002. September 9th, 2002. The uh, Mr. Maroof, Mr. Lath Maroof, was a... um, was the son is the son of a, a a UN diplomat, and at the time he was covered under diplomatic immunity. He uh, he was able to commit crimes, and not get charged, not get held accountable for the crimes he committed. It, it was it's fascinating. Uh, Maroof was um, was was leaped onto the roof of a police van, and told the crowd with a megaphone that they should stop Netanyahu. At any cost. He's not allowed to speak. He's a war criminal, he said, and that he should be stopped from speaking at any cost. 
So that resulted in uh, Holocaust survivors who came to hear Bibi Netanyahu speak at Concordia being kicked in the crotch. That, requi- that, that, that resulted in people getting beaten up. Uh, spectators, people who coming to, to hear Netanyahu speak. It, it resulted in, in, in the 200 and odd people who showed up for the speech, for the Netanyahu speech, being locked in an auditorium for their own safety while Maruf and his thugs were destroying the university. If you want to see the result of Mr. Maruf's efforts, you could, uh, you could watch a documentary called Disconcordia on, uh, on YouTube. And it's very clear that Mr. Maruf and Mr. Elitrash were very responsible for a lot of damage done to Concordia and a lot of damage done to Jews and a lot of damage done, period. Mr. Maruf was also, um, was also banned from campus by Frederick Lowy, who was the rector of the university at the time, when he was caught the second time in a week spinning anti-Israel graffiti on university walls. This was in 2002. Now, when, when he was caught, he broke away from the guards that caught him. He, he sprinted to the student council office when he was the vice president of the student union, of course. And, and a fight occurred between him and security on campus. The uh, university spokesman at the time, Dennis Murphy, explained that the banning is the result of a confrontation with campus security during which a death threat was uttered and two security guards were slightly injured. The individuals involved were not students at the time of the incident and are not currently students. Now, at the time, Mr. Maroof's uh, academic standing was designated at fail. He went to court to appeal his expulsion. His costs were assumed by the student union, who, paid for, who of course, paid for them. Um... And, uh, of course, the student union is funded by university students, so Concordia University students ended up paying for Mr. Maru's lawsuit against Concordia in which he was arguing that, you know, he was, he was caught, uh, he was arguing that, uh, that, uh, that he should be reinstated even though he was a failed student. The, uh, of course, he lost in court and he had to pay back the, the university the costs. So if that wasn't enough, and that was a simple Google search. Now, I didn't have to do this Google search. I just did it because I wanted to see how simple it was to find stuff on Lace Maroof, and it's simple. Uh, I, I covered this story. I, I covered the entire Lace Maroof saga in the early 2000s. I had a lot of contact with Lace. He hated me. Uh, he called me a scumbag Jew. He called me uh, other, other things that, uh, that I won't repeat here. Uh, not very friendly things, let's put it that way. Uh, and that's Lace Maroof. That's that's who he is. And of course, the Canadian federal government, the the Liberals, um, they they hired him for one hundred and thirty three thousand uh, dollars. I I could take the job. I'll I'll go lecture about not being racist in in the media. If you want to give me one hundred thirty three thousand dollars, I have no problem traveling to to lecture on this. Uh, let's um let's look. What else? What else did Mr. Maroof do? Well. In 2013, Mr. Maroof was still hanging around Concordia University because uh, that's what these, uh, these, these hating losers do. They hang around university campuses and they try to, they try to convince other universities, to try to convince universities, not other university students, because these people are already in their 30s, and some of them in their 40s. So, so they hang on at university. They take one course or no courses. They hang on and they, um, and they try to convince uh, other university students to be anti-Israel, anti-Jewish, and anti uh Anti, anti-democratic. So Mr. Maroof was hanging around Concordia in 2013. So that's, exa- that's 10 years 
after he started a riot at Concordia and destroyed the university campus's, um, university campus's lobby. So 10 years later, Mr. Maroof was now the executive director of CUTV, Concordia University Television, which I served as program director of uh, way back in the, in the early 2000s. Uh, Mr. Maroof was suspended from the as the executive director from the Concordia Student Union because he was a dictator and people just didn't like that. So they suspended him as the Concordia University Television Executive Director. So, so not only did he start a riot in 2002, but in 2013, he, he was also suspended. Now, now, between 2002 and 2013, Lace Maroof was not was not the kind of guy who would sit around and not say anything. He, he, he was tweeting nonstop. And, uh, and his tweets, his tweets were, were always, always very colorful. Uh, even back when, before Twitter, when I knew him, before Twitter, and when I was covering him at Concordia University as a journalist, uh, his tweets were, well, his tweets, his, his comments were very anti-Jewish, anti-Israel. Now, now, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to who's going to conflate anti-Israel with anti-Jewish. Uh, I think they are two separate things. You can be anti-Zionist and pro-Jewish. I think that's possible, and that's the argument that Lace Maroof always made, is that he hates Zionists but he loves Jews. It's not true, but that's the claim he always made. Um. So, just recently, uh, Mr. Maroof's tweets were were exposed. I mean, it, it wasn't hard. If, if anyone did any diligence, any due diligence, if anyone did any background checks on, they, on who they hired, the government should have never come near this guy with a 10-foot pole. But nobody bothered to look because the government has to be woke. And what's more woke than hiring a, a Jew-hating Arab to teach about not hating people? There's nothing more woke than that. So the outcry arose after Maru's prior tweets, which included references to Jewish white supremacists. Um, <laughs> Jewish white supremacists. I love that. Um, the um, Maru also called uh, Zionists bags of human feces. He referred to Israelis as little castrated bitches. He urged Europeans, he urged Europe and Europeans to come take its garbage. And in a reference to human rights lawyer and former justice minister Erwin Kotler, he called him the Grand Wizard, as in the Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard of Zionism. So, this man clearly has a, a, a problem. He clearly has a problem with Jews. He clearly has a problem with Israel. And he's clearly not the kind of guy a federal government should hire to do this kind of work. But yet he did. Yet he did. He was. And $133,000 later, the government's finally saying, oh, wait a second. This guy's a hateful man? Wow. <coughs> now, Mr. Maroof, as, um, as, um, as the vice president of the Concordia Student Union in September 2001, he published, uh, him and his union published a student handbook student agenda called Uprising. I, I think I still have a copy here somewhere. Uh, Uprising accuses Israel of being involved in state terror that has killed civilian men, women, and children whose only crime is their nationality. The, uh, the Concordia Student Union produced Uprising went one step further with an article by Lace Maroof 
that insinuated that the Jewish rector knows how much money the university owes to Zionists and accused the Concordia administration of being Islamophobic. Now, uh, now, Mr. Maruf, Mr. Maruf uh, made a presentation in front of his undergraduate political science class in the winter semester of the 2000 and 2001 academic year and in front of all his peers, and he said that the Talmud obliges Jews to kill all non-Jews. Uh, that was his claim, that, uh, that Talmud says that Jews should kill all non-Jews. Of course, it's a, it's a claim that's not true. It's a claim that's, uh, that's, that's completely false. But there you go. He, he said it anyway. Now, Maruf was elected as a Concordia Student Union Counselor in March of 2001. Um, he was caught on campus on two occasions scrawling graffiti on Concordia University property. One of these incidents related to graffiti containing both anti-Jewish and anti-Israel diatribes, including stop Jewish apartheid and Jewish occupation. Israel's a racist state. The star of David being equated to a swastika. Maruf was expelled from Concordia for these, for these, uh, for these incidents. I covered all these stories. This, this was, this was my, my line of uh, coverage in 2001 when I worked for a newspaper that, that assigned me to cover Concordia. Um, Maruf, uh, in 2010, was censored for unethical reporting by the McGill radio station. The Olive Tree was the show where he was the executive producer, and he was each, he was asked to retract the baseless claim um, that Israel was involved in the Abu Ghraib scandal in Iraq. In September 2010, Maruf was hired as programming director of Concordia University, a position that I held for, for a number of years, uh, which is funded by the Students' Association fee. CUTV quickly became a tool for anti-Israel propaganda, and he, of course, was suspended from that position. Um, now, he's been working on a project uh, as a project manager for independent community television, whose stated goal is to own and operate community television channels to the greater Montreal region, to be part of a group having interest in broadcasting viewers throughout the territory for Quebec, and receives gifts, requests, and other similar contributions in cash, securities, real estate, and uh, legacies and contributions. Sorry, I, can't, I, have, I have a little bit of a cold, so uh, I, I'm coughing in between. So I apologize for those of you watching and watching me hack my lungs out. I, I apologize. Um, all right, so let's take a look at uh, some of the other things that, uh, that the eminent Mr. Maruf ha has done. Um, government employee Mr. Maruf, working for the Heritage Department. Uh, he, was, he was actually just fired uh, recently. He was just fired in the last day or so. But um, let's see. Let's see. What else did he do? Uh, Mr. Maruf, he referred to, um, he referred to, uh, to, to Jews as Jewish scumbags, to Israelis as Jewish scumbags. And his argument was always that he wasn't anti-Jewish, he was anti-Israel, but, but he mixed the two up plenty of times. Um, on the, uh, December 2nd, 2002, in a, in a, in a move led by Mr. Maruf, the Concordia Student Union shut down the Concordia Hillel, on the grounds that it was actively recruiting for foreign military by distributing pamphlets. I hope people can join, uh, volunteer for the IDF. Uh, this got widespread international coverage and criticism. The uh, the Concordia Student Union later agreed to reinstate Hillel, only if it signed a pledge on principle Hillel refused. Hillel filed a lawsuit against the Concordia Student Union, but the Concordia Student Union government fell apart before he was able to do that. Now, on March 12, 2003, uh, Laith Maruf, 
who was just till yesterday working for the liberal government teaching journalists how not to be racist. Laith Maruth in March 12, 2003 was caught drawing a swastika on an Israeli flag in an art exhibit. He was charged with harassment, but he was, um, he was, he was acquitted of those of the harassment charges. So, so the man teaching anti-racism to journalists on behalf of the liberal government of Canada, who got paid $133,000 to teach journalists not to be racist, has a long, long history of racism, a long history of anti-Jewism, a long history of Jew hatred, a long history of attacking Jews, physically, verbally, through symbols. And you're telling me that the liberal government couldn't find us out before they hired him? They couldn't find us out? They couldn't do a, a Google search? All I did was search his name. I, I looked through my records. I, 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 I refreshed myself on the Leif Maruf case. I've, I, I, was, I was the lead journalist covering this for, for the entire city. I, I understood that Concordia situation in and out, and I, I, I still understand it in and out. But you're telling me that after all these years of Leif Maruf popping up, this anti-Jewish person popping up time after time after time after time again, and the thousands of articles where, where he appears, and the thousands of tweets where he insults French people and Jewish people and white people, that the liberal government of Justin Trudeau couldn't do a Google search before they gave $133,000 to this scumbag to teach anti-racism to journalists? It's infuriating. It's infuriating. People should be fired over this. Heads should be rolling over this. Instead, we get, we get tweets like, tweets from, from, from Anthony Housefather, MP, Anthony Housefather, who tweeted, Oh, yeah, well, we fired him. Now we finally fired him. That's great. Now we have to investigate Heritage Canada. We have to find out why he was hired. We know why he was hired. Because nobody bothered to do their job. <clears throat> we know why he was hired. Because due diligence wasn't found. Wasn't, wasn't followed. So, there, uh, let's, look, let's look at some of the other quotes. Uh, at least one other quote that Leith Maruth uh, was uh, was was guilty of, and there's a lot of them. You know, all these loudmouth bags of human feces, aka the Jewish white supremacists. When we liberate Palestine, they have to go back to where they came from. They'll return to being low-voiced bitches to their Christian secular white supremacist masters. This is a man teaching anti-racism to journalists, hired by the hired by the government of Canada. The Liberal Government of Canada, hired by the Liberal Government to teach anti-racism to journalists. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to imply that the Trudeau Liberals are racist. I don't think that's true. I don't think, I don't think it's true that Trudeau is a racist or any of the Liberals are racist. I think that the wokeism of the Trudeau government blinded them 
to the reality of this racist scumbag that they hired. So a minister, uh, one of the ministers, finally, finally, Ahmed Hassan finally got up and said, hey, wait a second. He's the Trudeau's minister for housing, diversity and inclusion. And he issued a statement on Sunday against Baru's comments, but didn't say that his organization were being fired from this role. Uh, this is what he said. He said, the reprehensible and vile comments made by this individual go against everything our government and our country stand for. So, so this guy was hosting workshops, anti-racism workshops in Montreal, Vancouver, Halifax, and at the same time calling people Jewish white supremacists and bags of human feces and saying that the French is an ugly language and that frogs have much lesser IQ. He once called Colin Powell the Jamaican house slave of the empire. Now, Maruf's lawyer says that Maruf doesn't have any animus towards the Jewish faith as a collective group, something that Maruf told me uh, 15 years ago. He's, he emphasized his tweet made clear a distinction between Jewish white supremacists and Jews in general. Um, Maruf told me the same thing. He said, I don't hate Jews. I, I hate Zionists. I don't hate Jews. I hate Zionists. But then, then he has no problem saying Jewish white supremacists or, or calling people bags of human, or calling Jews in general bags of human feces. So the hypocrisy of, uh, of, his, uh, of his comments, the hypocrisy of the whole thing is actually infuriating and we should all be infuriated by this. We should all be angry by this. We should all be demanding that the people in Heritage Canada and the people in the people in Heritage Canada who hired him should be fired. Fired for not doing their job. Fired for not having due diligence. Fired for giving Canadian taxpayer money, your money and my money, to an anti-Jewite like Leith Maroof. It's infuriating. And the sad part is that most liberal-loving Jews will just shrug this off and say, they made a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. They're fixing their mistake. They fired him. What else do you want them to do? And nobody's going to say, they should have never hired him in the first place. Howie Silberger, this is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Feel free to call in 1-877-669-1292. It's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. You got to be as angry as I am about this. Uh, I tweeted back to Anthony Housefather on Twitter uh, he, when he when he put up, "Look, we're going to look into this." So I, I said, "A simple Google search could have given you all the information you wanted about this scumbag." Why? Why? Why is it? Why did it take so long for the Canadian government to realize that this guy was no good? That this guy was a rabid hater. He's a rabid Jew hater. He's a rabid white hater is a rabid French hater why did it take so long for the Canadian government which is all about diversity we must be diverse we must multiculturalism we must be woke and then they go and they do this if this is wokeism I'm not interested if this is diversity I'm not interested if this is justice I'm not interested Let me off the bus right now. I'm not interested. And the sad thing at the end of all this is 
that Jews will still vote for the liberals. At the end of the day, Jews are still going to vote for the liberals. That's a sad thing. Sad thing. It's, it's, it's exactly like in, in the states where Jews vote for the Democratic Party and continuously vote for the Democratic Party. No matter how many times the Democratic Party slaps Israel, slaps the Jewish community, the Jews keep voting for the Democratic Party. It's a sad, strange phenomenon and something that I hope will change. Uh, it's time for it to change. I mean, look, uh, Mount Royal... Mount Royal, the, the Jewish vote has changed over the years. It used to be 96% liberal. Now it's only like 82%. Hopefully, Jews will wake up. Keep voting in people who hired Jew hater $133,000 to a man who called Erwin Kotler the leader of the Jewish white supremacist movement, the grand wizard of the Zionist KKK. Erwin Kotler, the former Justice Minister of Canada, the special envoy, renowned and globally respected human rights lawyer, Erwin Kotler. It's disgusting. It's vile that this guy was hired. I'm glad that the government finally came to their senses and fired him. And I'd like to see the heads of the people who hired him Rolling very soon. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. Right here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. We're on every night from ten to eleven p.m. Right here on TrueTalkRadio.com. Um, we are we are live streamed across many different platforms. Uh, you can always download the True Talk Radio Network app, and you can have True Talk Radio on the go. Uh, True Talk Radio has more than the Howie Silberger show. There's a lot of different shows that air on the True Talk Radio network. So I invite you to uh, to to listen to True Talk Radio. We have uh, some interesting and great shows that air all day, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, overnights, we play old-time radio. Uh, very soon, very soon, it's coming up uh, imminently, we are launching a true rock radio, which will be our rock station, our sister rock station. And uh, a lot of the music programs that now air on True Talk Radio will move over to True Rock Radio. That's coming up uh, extremely soon. Uh, it's not quite ready yet, but we're getting there. So it's coming up pretty soon. Uh, I also invite you to um, also invite you to uh, subscribe to the Howie Silberger Show podcast. If you subscribe to the podcast, any show you miss will be automatically downloaded into your podcast folder. So never miss an episode. Sign up for the podcast. The Howie Silberger Show podcast. I remind you that on Tuesday nights, I am here. I am here uh, at 10 o'clock with the Howie Silberger Show. And then I'm back at midnight with Political Hitman, which airs on Israel News Talk Radio uh, in Israel. So uh, it's simulcast on Israel News Talk Radio and True Talk Radio. And you can join me for that at midnight on Tuesdays. We're also on at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays with the Howie Silberger Show. That's not simulcast. That's just local. But uh, at midnight, we're all simulcast right across the world. So... You can join us at midnight on Tuesdays for uh, Political Hitman. It's always a fun and interesting show, and you never know who's going to call in. Uh, same thing with the Howie Silberger Show. You never know who's going to call in. one 669 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 So I went to the supermarket today, and, uh, and uh, I, I had to buy some stuff for different people. So when I got to the cash, I split the order up into two different orders. The first order... Uh, I said, I'll pay for this, and then I'll pay for that. I need bags for both orders. Now, 
bags used to be given out for free. We we always took it for granted. You went shopping, they gave you a bag. Uh, well, so you can carry your groceries home. But the tree huggers got really upset about that. They said, ah, oh, bags are clogging up our... Uh, well, before they did that, the tree huggers first said, oh, well, all these paper bags you're giving out, they're killing all the trees. You're cutting down the rainforest. You got to stop giving out paper bags. So all the supermarkets moved over to plastic bags. And paper bags virtually disappeared in supermarkets. And after 20 years of supermarkets giving out plastic bags, those same tree huggers came back and said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, uh, now you're clogging up the landfills, there's too much plastic, it takes 10 million years for plastic to decompose, and, and you're killing turtles, you can't, you can't have plastic anymore, you have to go back to paper. So, the supermarkets devised a scheme, as they usually do, they're, they're, they're there for the profit, right? And so what was their scheme? We're going to charge charging ten, five cents for a bag. So you want to come to the supermarket, we're going to reduce the amount of bags that we put out on the street by charging you five cents a bag. And people came and they nobody really protested too much. People came, they paid the five cents for a bag. Everybody took a bag. Fine, whatever. Then they started selling recyclable bags. Oh, well, you know, reusable bags. Oh, well, now you, you have to pay me a dollar for the reusable bag. Okay, we paid a dollar for the reusable bag. No problem. Then bags, uh, bag cost went up 10 cents. Then they went up to 15 cents. 15 cents is kind of expensive for a commodity that was given to you for free. So they're at 15 cents and they got rid of plastic bags. There's only paper bags. I walk into, so I go to the cash and I say, break this up. I need two bags. Cashier says, okay. And processes the order, first order, gives me a bag, puts my stuff in the bag. Thank you very much. Processes the second order and leaves the stuff lying on the counter. Asks me to pay. I pay. I said, where's my bag? I, I need a second bag. Cashier says to me, oh, you want a bag? That'll be 15 cents. Now, I I was a little upset by this because I had asked her originally for two bags. And now she's asked me for 15 cents. Seems kind of petty to say, oh, you want a bag? 15 cents. I'll fork it over. Seems a little petty. Uh. So I said, okay, you know what? I'll take the 15 cent bag. No problem. I'll pay 15 cents. And I pulled out a $50 bill from my pocket. I wish I had a hundred. I really honestly wish I had a hundred dollar bill. I pulled out a $50 bill from my pocket and I gave her a $50 bill. The cashier looked at the $50 bill for a 15 cent transaction and said to me, all right. She punches in a hundred, change comes up on the screen, drawer opens, and she realizes she doesn't have enough change to give me. She's looking at her cash. She doesn't have enough change. She has to call a supervisor over. It takes five minutes for a supervisor to get there. So I've been standing there five minutes already. It takes five minutes for a supervisor to get there. She tells the supervisor, I need, um, I need change. I don't have enough change to give the man. He has a 15-cent bill. He's paying with a $50 bill. I need change. Supervisor says, fine. Before I can give you change, I have to balance your cash. Takes them five minutes to balance the cash. All right, so the cash is balanced, and the supervisor says, "Okay." So now he takes his uh, he takes his, he takes the money, the fifty dollars I gave her. He says, "Now I have to go and get change." Great, amazing. He runs off to get change. Another five minutes, six minutes go by. Supervisor comes back, gives change to her. She gives the change to me. My fifteen cent transaction is now complete, and she gives me a bag which I could pack the rest of my groceries. Now, now, the groceries I bought were, I bought about $100 worth of groceries altogether, 
And and here we stood for almost 20 minutes on a 15-cent transaction. One employee spent about 15 minutes on this thing, and another employee spent about 10 minutes. That's 35 minutes of company time. And if I calculate the 35 minutes by, let's say, minimum wage, which is, what, fourteen seventy-five an hour or so? Uh, how much money is the... Uh, how much money is the supermarket losing when they charge 15 cents for a bag and have to give you change? It seems kind of ridiculous. And, and the kicker on the whole thing is the whole reason for, uh, for, for giving these bags, these paper bags, instead of plastic bags, is to save the environment. The paper bags clearly say on them, do not recycle because they're lined with plastic. Because if you don't line the paper bags with plastic... They break when you put groceries into them. They're not strong enough. They're not recyclable. So you pay $15 for a bag that is supposed to save the environment. And they're giving you a bag that you cannot recycle. That you have to throw into the garbage, which eventually goes to the landfill. Which was the original point where we started with this whole nonsense of stopping to use bags in supermarkets. It's 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 mind blowing when you think about it, right? The, the circle you run in, and you end up back in the same place, and you're like, what 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 do we just do? What why did we do this? What is the point of me paying fifteen cents for a bag you used to give me for free that can't be recycled anyway? To stop me from taking the non recyclable bag? Okay, just don't offer bags at all. Kind of like Walmart, no bags. You want a bag? Bring your own. I don't get it. But then again, and there's a lot of things I don't understand. one 877 is number to call. one 877 I'll never understand this. Uh, no matter how many times someone tries to explain it to me, no matter how much logic somebody tries to use in this, uh, I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever understand this. It makes no sense. It's not logical. And to, and to pay employees, to pay employees, I mean, it cost them almost $16 for a 15-cent transaction doesn't make sense it's not it's 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 lunacy but i've come to i've come to accept that the world has gone lunatic that that we don't long we no longer have a normal world i've come to accept the fact that 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 we live in a time where 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 normalcy is is not normal now now i know i know a long time ago i had a professor who was a professor of of psychology and we had this conversation because this has this is not a new phenomenon. Idiocy in government, idiocy in 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 uh, in corporate life. This is not new. This has been around forever. So I had I had a a professor of psychology that I spoke to a long time ago, and I asked him. I said, I said I, I don't get it. I don't get how 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 people can make stupid policies and have them and have them work and and still be able to function in normal life. And you know what his answer was? And and it was it was really a mind blowing answer. He said to me, "Hey, Howie," he says, "He said, normal. When you say this is not normal, and you say that this is beyond the scope of normality, normal is what the mass population thinks is normal. So there's no scale for normal. So if the mass population believes." that men could be women and women could be men 
And it doesn't matter if you're born with a penis or not. Uh, a woman could be a man, a man could be a woman, and you, you have to call them man and woman, and you know you could mix them up. And there are 475,000 genders. If the world believes this, then that's what's normal. And then your belief that there's two genders because you're born with a penis that makes you a man, you're born with a vagina that makes you a woman, your belief in that, in biology, in basic biology, becomes abnormal. So the whole world could twist over and normalcy becomes abnormal and abnormal becomes normal. Because if enough people start believing in, in that philosophy, that becomes a normal society. That becomes normal. It's mind-blowing. When you think about it, it's mind-blowing because that means that any lame-brained, stupid, crazy theory that just happens to catch fire becomes the new norm. And that people who are living normal lives, people who are, who, who, who are living lives that's, that were considered normal for centuries and centuries and centuries, are suddenly the freaks, and the freaks are the, are the normal people. Look, we talked about this before, and uh, I'm going to mention it again because I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me, and nobody's been able to explain it to me. But this whole concept of drag queens reading to children in libraries doesn't make sense to me either. Why would we do that? What would be the point in doing that? Is there some kind of message we're sending by putting drag queens there? Why can't it just be people? People reading to children. Why does it have to be drag queens? Are we trying to normalize drag queens? Okay, fine. I mean, uh, you want to normalize it with kids? You're trying to brainwash the kids that this is okay? <sighs> I don't get it. And if you could explain to me, give me a call. one 669 1292 Because I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And there's a lot of things that don't make sense to me. And, and as I get older, I guess that's going to continue. Because I... Um, I actually believe that as people get older, they, they, they understand less and less of what's going on in the world. Uh, I'm not all that old yet, but as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize. Or maybe it's just that people who are getting older have, have more foresight. They can look back farther and they understand how the world has changed and for the good and for the bad. I mean, some things are good. Some things are really bad. The thing that changed the world the most, that, that caused this big disruption, and eventually this disruption is going uh, to implode. All this stuff is going to implode and just not going to work anymore. But, but the thing that caused all this was, of course, social media, was, of course, uh, Facebook and Twitter. They, they're the main culprits of this, of this lunacy that's happening in the world today. This unsustainable lunacy, this, this, this craziness that, that we see happening, this was caused by, by, by social media. So social media going away? No. No, it was designed to be addictive. And people are addicted to it. I bet you that half the people listening to the show are looking at some social media site. Right now, as I'm talking to you, you're looking at some social media site. Because that's what 90% of the world is doing all the time. That's how addictive they've made social media. On purpose, intentionally. So they can make a profit. Playing on your addiction so they can make a profit. Sounds exploitive? Well, that's what it is. So, uh, so I'm, not, uh, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked by this. But it's reality. 
And how do we change this reality? We can't change the reality. We have to live with it. And so living with this reality, knowing that people are connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week, knowing that social media is out there, knowing that uh, that Twitter could be searched, knowing that, uh, that, that research could be done, it's still mind-boggling that the Canadian government could hire Leith Maroof, a rabbit, rabbit hater, a vocal rabbit Jew hater, a vocal rabbit rabbit uh, hater of the French language, a vocal rabbit hater of Americans and, 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 and white people, that the federal liberal government could go out and hire this guy to teach anti-racism to journalists. It's mind-blowing that this could possibly happen. And I know we, we, we talked about this at the beginning of the show, and I, I kind of circled back to this, uh, but, but it's, still, it's still bothering me. That no due diligence. Look, if I was going to hire somebody to work in my business, excuse me, if I was going to hire somebody to, walk, to work in my business, I do a background check. I, I work in a school. I run a school. So if I'm going to hire a teacher, not only do I call references and check out how well they did in other schools, not only do I speak to people in their community and find out about them, I, I send a form to the police and I pay the police a fee to do a background check, a simple background check. Who is this guy? Does he have a criminal record? Is there something here I have to worry about? Now, if I'm doing that in a school and it's required by law that I do that in a school, and I would do that in my business. I would do a background check on anybody who came to apply in my business. So if somebody wanted to come and work for me, I, I would do a check. I would check their references, and I would do a background check. I would try to check them out, find out who they are before I let them into my office, into my world. Shouldn't the government do that when they hire consultants to go and teach anti-racism? I mean, the least the liberal government could have done was made sure that their anti-racism consultant wasn't a racist himself. That's the least they could have done. I, they could have done a lot more than that, but the least they could have done was at least made sure that the guy teaching journalists not to be racist wasn't a racist. It seems stupid to have to say this. It seems dumb to have to think this. But that's the least that the that the government should have done. The most they could have done was actually a, a, a Google search. <laughs> they could have they could have spoken to people who, who knew Mr. Maroof. They could have spoken to uh, journalists. They could have uh, they could have asked around. Anybody working in journalism in Montreal uh, from the 2000s on know Mr. Maroof and know him pretty well. Know who he is. Know what he's been responsible for. Know that he he presented a display at an art show with an Israeli flag and a swastika. Yes, a swastika. Know that he, he was thrown out of university for, for scrawling anti-Israel and anti-Jewish uh, Jewish slogans on the walls of the university. He was caught by university security. He ran back to his office in the Concordia Student Union, chased by security. And when they caught him there, he got into a physical altercation with them and got expelled from the school. We know that happened. I was there. I was at the press conference. 
And it was at his press conference where he said he was innocent and that didn't really happen. And it was at the press conference where where he claimed, where, where he filed a lawsuit against the university. I was there for all of it. So we know this all happened because I witnessed it all. We know he jumped up on a van and said, stop Netanyahu from speaking at all costs, which launched a riot at Concordia University in 2002, a riot which saw Holocaust survivors who were there to hear Bibi Netanyahu speak, who were standing in line waiting to get in, being kicked in the balls. I saw it. I was there. Who caused? Who saw Concordia students, Arabs, Arabs beating up Jewish Concordia students and Jewish Jewish students that were there waiting to get into the university, waiting to get into that speech, beating them up in the middle of the street. I was there. I was a witness to that. Which saw the lobby of the university being trashed and destroyed. We saw the riot squad show up and launch tear gas into the lobby. I was there. I saw it. So you can't tell me it didn't happen. I was there. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about Mr. Maroof that, uh, that dates back even earlier than that. About a decade earlier than that because Mr. Maroof has been around for a long, long time. He's been around Concordia for 25 years, almost 30 years. I remember early in, in, in the 90s, in the mid-90s, my group, Save All Jews Everywhere, a group I founded, had reserved the mezzanine of Concordia University to, um, to have a display. We decided to do a, 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 a political display, a cultural display. We, uh, we, we invited a bunch of Jewish groups to come to the university campus and set up tables. And at the time, that year, um, Stephen Emerson's investigative project in, uh, in Washington had released a, a movie on, on uh, PBS, which we got permission to re-air in the lobby of Concordia University. So we got a projector, and we got the movie on tape, and we, we aired the movie. On the screen, we set up a little theater, and we aired the movie. The movie was called Jihad in America, and basically Stephen Emerson went undercover with some of his uh, people, went undercover to different mosques in America, and they recorded the imam's speeches. They recorded all the speeches for the imams, and they, um, and they had these speeches uh, translated, and they found that these imams were calling for violence on America and the destruction of American values and, American, and the American system. And so I aired this a couple of times, and, um, and uh, Mr. Maroof and some of his friends, who were very young at the time, showed up. And they, uh, they came up to, uh, to my table. I was standing at a table, and they came up to my table, and they Nazi saluted me. I remember this very clearly. And then they went and they tried to take down the, 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 uh, the, the video that was playing. Now, of course, we, we fought them back, and they, they left, and they came back with the dean of students who forced us to, who, who tried to shut down our display. We refused to shut down the display. And then they, um, they forced us to cover it up. I remember this clearly. So this man has a long history of attacking Jews. Long history of being insulting to Jews. A long history of, of, of spewing hatred on his Twitter account. Just look up his Twitter account and read some of the stuff he's written. It's vile and disgusting. It's stuff I won't even read to you here. I have a whole list here in front of me. I won't even read you the stuff that he's written. 
because it's that vile and disgusting. But I encourage you to go and read it yourself if you're into vile and disgusting stuff. If you're curious about what kind of person, what caliber of person the liberal government hires to be anti-racist, to teach anti-racism to journalists, just visit Lace Maru's Twitter account and just scroll through it reading his stuff. You'll see how anti-racist Lace Maroof is. So once again, I, 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 I am happy. I'm, I'm really happy that the Canadian government fired him. They, they canceled the contract with his company. I'm really happy they stopped the charade of pretending not to know who he was and what he was responsible for and what he had done. I'm really happy that the, that the Canadian government stopped being hypocritical by saying that they stand against racism at all costs. I mean, just, just a few months ago, I don't know if you remember, just a few months ago, members of parliament like Anthony Housefather were up in arms and outraged by the display of a swastika on one truck during the truckers' convoy. That one truck during the car, that one truck that, that flew a swastika during the truckers' convoy uh, deemed it, 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 they painted the entire convoy as Nazis based on that one truck. So one Nazi symbol at the truckers rally suddenly made all the truckers Nazis and justified Justin Trudeau's crackdown on them, his dictatorial crackdown on them. And, and that's what they used as justification, that it was a group of Nazis that were invading the capital. So the swastika in that context, because it was anti-liberal, was okay. It was, was, was horrible. And, and had to be destroyed, and they had to go, and they had to become dictators, and they had to arrest everybody and throw everybody in jail and kill their dogs. They had to do that because they had to protect the country. But a man who, who used a swastika and an Israeli flag as an art exhibit, who, who scrawled swastikas and other vile symbols on the walls of Concordia University who got, and got expelled for it, who published a, a, a handbook who was part of, a, uh, part of the Concordia Student Union executive that published a handbook called Uprising, which, which, which referred to July 1st as Anti-Canada Day and encouraged people to burn Canadian flags, which, which referred to, to September 11th as Fall from the Sky Day a year after 9-11. Fire from the Sky Day, excuse me. They refer to it as Fire from the Sky Day, a year after 9-11, with a big image on the next page of an airplane flying into a boardroom, which referred to May 14th, Israel's Independence Day, as, a, as, the, as, the, as the massacre, as the, as, the, as, the, as the massacre day, which referred to Israel as an apartheid state and a murderous state and a Nazi state which referred to Erwin Kotler, the eminent professor, former justice minister, human rights lawyer, Erwin Kotler, as the grand wizard of the Jewish KKK. This is the kind of man that was hired by the liberal government as an anti-racism consultant. Sickening. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I want to thank you for joining me. I will be back again tomorrow night at 10 p.m., right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I'll also be back tomorrow night at midnight because uh, we have two shows tomorrow. So I will see you tomorrow. Have a great night.